Welcome to Good News, Bad News, the Libertarian Christian Roundtable, where every other week we challenge the status quo and give you the libertarian Christian analysis of what's happening in your world. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about the meta news and a few other things. And we're also, just so you know, launching this as a podcast. So if you have watched this on YouTube before, but you'd also rather just hear us instead of watch us laugh and giggle at each other, uh, you can subscribe to the Good News, Bad News podcast on all of your podcast apps. Or, of course, you can continue watching us here on YouTube. So you can subscribe at your whatever favorite podcast app you want, or if you need to, libertarianchristians.com slash roundtable. And so we'd really appreciate it, by the way, if you also gave a like to this video, or if you gave a little five-star review on whatever your favorite podcast app is, that'd be yes. really helpful to us as we're trying and to grow this thing. Don't forget subscribe, to subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> subscribe, subscribe, review. Comment. <laughs> should be our mantra. Blah, blah, end blah. Of, <laughs> end of every show, right? Yeah. And of course, by faith, faith, seeking and freedom, because we're peddling that as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. And if you're listening to this for the first time on a podcast, uh, because we're going to promote this on our regular podcast, and maybe this is the first time, we actually have a whole year's worth about every other week of, uh, of videos that deal with the news. Now, obviously, that's time limited. Uh, in a, in a sense, but you will get us you will get a taste of how we analyze the news and present things that have been going on over the past year, which of course, uh, in 2020, 2021, is really interesting and worth hearing. So you can go back on our YouTube channel, uh, and again, if you don't know what to look up or whatever, just go to libertarianchristians.com. You can find everything there. So we want to do a quick intro for everybody, so we don't want to assume that every, you know that you know new listeners have been listening or watching for a while. And so I am Doug Stewart. I'm the CEO of the Libertarian Christian Institute, the host of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, and of course, the sort of host here today, although I'll participate <laughs> as well. So uh, yeah, Norm, you're next. Yeah, Norman Horn. I'm the founder and president of LCI. Been been here a while, folks, and it's good to, we're starting up this kind of second secondary podcast, and it's exciting to kind of keep expanding, and glad to have you guys on board and listening. Aaron, tell us about yourself, you weirdo. <laughs> that is the most awesome introduction I have ever gotten. Thank yeah, you very much, Norman. Uh, my name is Aaron, Aaron Sepulveda. If you guys want to know my last, my last, 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 last name is Sepulveda Cue. Um, <laughs> I am an economist uh, for, and I work for the Libertarian Christian Institute also. And I'm very happy to be with you guys. Carrie. I'm Carrie Baldwin. I'm a contributor at LCI, and I also have my own website called MirrorLiberty.com. What do you do at MirrorLiberty.com? What can people sign up for? Oh, you have to let them know. I do, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, uh, well, I do a few things, but um, the thing that you can actually sign up for are my Liberty seminars. Um, I teach online courses uh, in critical thinking, and I use the Socratic method to do that. And we have fun dialogues about the principles of a free society. And so um, kids, uh, middle school, high school, and then also adults uh, have the opportunity to uh, learn and refine their critical thinking skills by having Socratic dialogues about the principles of a free society. Excellent. So you can check her out at mirrorliberty.com. 
So as we are want to do in every episode, we discuss the news. And for this episode, we're going to discuss one particular piece of news, which is relatively new, which I guess that's why. <laughs> As I would hope it should be. Yes, yeah, it like, does this fulfill a... the purpose of this, <laughs> yes, of this podcast. Right. Well, it's not like what I mean is not like it's like last week's news. Just we finally are now just getting around to recording. This is more like it actually happened since we scheduled this meeting, which is uh, China is apparently at war with your wallet or something. Aaron has the like the the, the news item like he can describe what's actually going on here okay so um the quick way to see this is um the chinese after 2008 they had to rely more on the on their own central bank than on the fed long story short right uh so then again they started playing with inter uh, with interest rates uh oddly enough real estate which is very sensitive to interest rates had a boom and now it's having its bust so uh the most important company real estate company of uh china evergrande group which is not only real estate but it's mainly real estate owes about 300 billion dollars uh to international investors and all of their investments in real estate are collapsing and therefore because the chinese system now that for some strange reason people are obsessed saying that is the best system in the world it's really just built on cheap credit and there's a bunch of not just you're not talking just about real estate development you're talking about entire cities that are useless what we what hayek would call malinvestments which doc stewart thought about giving it a specific name oh yeah like in china it's called a mal investment Exactly. <laughs> and they, they, it's not like there were cities and then people left and then you have like ghost towns. No, they built ghost towns and that's the way they stayed because nobody wow. could actually move, wow. move because you have mal investments. There's, Did they there do were... it like Hollywood style where they just put up a facade just so that you could like roll the camera in front of it? <laughs> this, this is even like, worse. Did they like, save out, money? Did they save the money? Like cardboard? Or, or, <laughs> this, is, this is even worse. They actually built like, an, like entire towns and nobody moved in. And now that for sure is collapsing because um, the a lot of investors are looking at the at the assets now. They're not coming out. Uh, a lot of development they did is not working out. Uh, this group is so big, and we tend to make jokes about it, uh, that they even have soccer teams that bring international players to China, completely unknown or semi-unknown players, uh, and pay them $20 million and above. As, whoa, if they whoa, were, whoa, whoa. as if they were as if they were Messi or Ronaldo, they're just almost completely unknown. So, so you, these ghost cities have soccer teams that oh, have no, no, rosters. No. That's a that's a good one. It's one of the. Um, I wouldn't doubt that one of the ghost cities will actually have a soccer team, but for sure, usually the big cities have the soccer team. But these groups, this investment group, like Ever, uh, Evergrande Group, does have its own soccer team, and the level of investment is just completely insane. It's completely outside of the ordinary. Okay. They, does I have questions. Sense? I have questions about this, man. So you're gonna have to help me here. <laughs> All right. So number one, I think it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to note that it's like apparently it doesn't really matter if you're supposedly capitalistic or communistic. If you're running a central bank, it's going to fail because they're going to end up having these business cycles because you're manipulating interest rates. So kind of an Austrian point right there. That's kind of that's interesting. That those are there. There is no specific tie to whether a, a central bank is 
you know, is somehow inherently, oh, well, that's of the capitalist regime versus not. I mean, th- this happened in both cases and both are having business, business cycle. Uh, it doesn't matter execution. if they pretend to serve the free market yeah. or not. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so that's kind of interesting to note. Um, secondarily, I think it's, of course, notable to, to kind of realize that this can't happen when you have something like Bitcoin <laughs> or, or, a, or a hard currency uh, in general. So that's kind of, you know, a meta point as well. But OK, but, but more on to the, this, this like there's there's some really interesting implications here as to what could theoretically happen in China as a result of this. We noted we actually saw almost variants on that ghost city thing happening even in the United States leading uh, in the lead up to the 2008 uh, real estate crash in the United States, right? I mean, a lot, lot of houses being built in the middle of nowhere that were commanding ridiculous prices. They'd be bought on no credit whatsoever. And then, you know, the, and th- those, I mean, we've, we've heard of these uh, even large high rises and whatnot that were built in the middle of nowhere, like, go, like virtual ghost apartment complexes in various places in the United States. These do exist, you can find them. Um, but what, what I'm curious about is like, okay, well, what happens now to the, to these sorts of things now that, that the, that Evergrande could theoretically go bankrupt. So how does, how does that happen in China? I mean, are we just going to see a similar type of bailout effect and then a devaluation of the currency as a result, or are we going to see them actually go under and then the assets get sold off? That, that, that is, that is exactly the big question because, um, the Chinese government has never faced something yeah. like this and and what i want i want the listeners to understand now it's you would think okay didn't they learn already from the crisis of 2008 from from americans yeah but, americans, but that's like asking if that if america learned from the great depression or the or the 1913 edition you know whatever not, not just that from J- japan in the 90s had exactly the same yeah. real estate crisis we had in 2008 japan had it in in, in uh, and it's very similar to what's happening now in china for some uh, complicated reasons, they had to actually expand uh, real estate industries, let's say in the 90s in, in, uh, in Japan, for some international pressures. Uh, you had the boom, the bust, and then the recovery, they become zombified economies. Japan first, then the United States, and now China looking forward. So what the, the big picture of this is, the prediction is that they're going to become zombified which means a lot of companies that really don't produce stuff that are all that useful yeah. they're going to be kept alive just by all the refinancing that the cent- that their central bank allows which is what has been happening in japan since like yeah so this is why uh, they also call japanification here yep it's it every time an economy zombifies which means a bunch of companies that you kind of know they should not exist but for some reason they exist uh you know that they're just being refinanced directly or indirectly from the central bank and that's why the central bank is so problematic because it destroys the idea of of uh, of you know of innovation uh, of innovation from uh, Schumpeter. It just does yeah. not allow. It stops it. Stops it. Stops it. Stops it. Now, when you read this as well, it also seems interesting that this is coinciding with the beginnings of electronic shortages, which is happening because of supply line disruption in China. It's not just because of the pandemic and things like that. It's because of this type of stuff, too, Mm. because in the same way that we have overinvestment and malinvestment in real estate in the United States, and we had the corresponding, you know, kind of crash as a result, we should have been investing elsewhere. And likewise, you could say that this is a this is endemic. Of Malin, of of, you know, not investing in the right way, uh, and allowing the market to work, uh, because too, too much investment in real estate 
pushes mm-hmm. resources away from so the supply yeah. chains of every yeah. other industry, yeah. which in this case, because it's China, it affects the entire world. And to be fair with how the world works, if China messes up, affects affects everybody. And some people will say we shouldn't do with China. Okay, but then that means that whenever we Americans, I don't know if you guys, if people know that when we mess up, everyone gets hurt in the world. Yeah. So this is not something just particular of China. Mm. Uh, so this is very the two biggest economies in the world. The next one could be remember when uh, Europe has its crisis in 2010, 2011 yeah. with Greece. Everyone was freaking why because it's such a big economy that it does affect the supply the supply chains all throughout the world because it affects the credit and the proper allocation of that credit yeah so i, I want to point out something that that norm mentioned this isn't just about covid i think it's very easy for people to look at this on the surface and just be like oh as oh, far it's as the, chrono- yeah. the chronological order of things is such that this must be you know a result of of the the you know the lockdowns for COVID or whatever, but, uh, this is, this is sort of a long time coming sort of thing, right? This is something that, that is endemic in a, you know, central banking sort of system. Mm -hmm. And so we can't just say, oh, this is, this is because of COVID. So we can, we can ignore it. The Economist magazine has been talking about this since, if I remember correctly, 2012, 2013, because wow. they're a little like one ghost city here. Yeah. Another ghost city over there. And it's then like, you start piling yeah. up and guess what? Did the did the Chinese government, I mean, I didn't even know about these ghost cities. So did the Chinese government ever use these cities to kind of like show off how wonderful it is? Because I know they do that. Um, but I just kind of wonder how much that played into their overall narrative and what they're talking, what they're saying about it now. Like, how do they explain it away? I have no, I know they show off usually the nice areas of the existing big cities for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. They, so they, say, look. they tend to want to tout Shenzhen, Shanghai, you know, and so on in Beijing, uh, because those are, those are kind of their like crown jewel things and, and so on. Especially Shenzhen, because you can look at that and, and just look at the picture. Like, I mean, it, for anybody who hasn't really seen, it is stunning. And and frankly, it, it is a, a gorgeous ch- transformation to see what Shenzhen looked like in the 80s versus the 90s versus the 2000s versus now. It's an incredible transformation. And, and you know, that's not to, to laud communism at all. It's like that is actually more that is more like what capitalism does mm-hmm. realistically. Uh, is that it, it is when when you are allowed to make those types of decisions for yourself when suddenly you know amazing prosperity can happen and 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 to be sure one of the like this we can we should be and we should rail against communism as much as we possibly can with respect to the way in which the ccp works and everything but uh the we cannot discount the fact that it is actually like kind of it's capitalism and free trade that has been able to make China at least as good as it is. Mm-hmm. And then in particular, the Chinese people, we can't just, you know, uh, identify communism as like, that's, that is the Chinese thing or whatever, because right. it isn't. And that's not fair to them. 
I have way too many, like for one thing, we do way too much business with China to just write it off as like, oh, well, they're just commies and blah. No, that'd be wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's disrespectful of these great people that are over there and, and great companies for that matter. Well, uh, and j- it- j- sorry, let me just conclude that thought. J- just in the same way that we should, we should, you know, decry, uh, um, you know, American uh, companies and, and that are tools of the state in this regard and, and participating in, you know, the, the awfulness that is American aggression and so on, while we can simultaneously praise good groups that are doing the right thing and just being good businesses. Right. Yeah, that, that's a great thing. So. Yeah. Well, it's my understanding that the, uh, the communist party in China just, you know, learned some really hard lessons and figured out that they can't actually, uh, have any measure of communism without capitalism financing it. And so they've, uh, they've permitted, um, capitalism to breathe in certain areas yeah. or in certain ways. Even the um, USSR did that too. And, and eventually they failed. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, if I may interject on this one, um, the typical name we provide for this, and please start using this name <laughs> for all of our listeners, is called mercantilism. We already have it, and Adam Smith mm. specifically wrote <clears throat> The Wealth of Nations specifically to contradict it. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, to give you guys a point of reference, we, this is not uncommon at all, just so, just so everybody knows. Um, the one uh, From the 70s, they had the Cultural Revolution, if I'm correct, in China, and it was a mess. Yeah, uh, 60s and 70s, yeah. 60s and 70s, um, to rebuild the economy of China. Then Xiaoping, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. um, led, led the reform, privatized a lot, of, a lot of things. And this is a trick so that people understand outside the United States how it works. It's not uncommon outside the United States to have one party rule. And the rule is, okay, you can, you can be a billionaire, you can have your businesses, but don't badmouth the, one, the, the, the monopolistic uh, political party, right. whichever political party you can have. Uh, Saddam Hussein used to have that kind of system and a bunch of other places are like that. Yeah. So it's just that China had a lot of resources because it's so big. But yeah. this is very common. What they do is, okay, this idea of socialism didn't work. Maybe we'll keep one or two industries. Usually uh, uh, oil tends to be a big thing to keep it uh, nationalized, but the rest they privatize. But the rule is you can do it, but don't bad mouth the, 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 the monopoly, the monopoly uh, political party, which it doesn't yeah. have to be communist. You can have every conceivable name that you can imagine. It's not, it's not uncommon. Yeah, case in point there is Jack Ma and Alibaba, you know. So, which is happening. I mean, that's another thing that's happening right now is that, you know, Jack Ma's company is getting broken up because he just had just enough pushback against mm. the narrative of the state to, to, to kind of get, get them involved and, and they're cracking. So, so this brings us inevitably to the question for our listeners, for us uh, in, in America as libertarian Christians, what do we do about this information? Like what is the, what is the takeaway for, uh, you know, managing our finances, because obviously we can't control the Communist Party in China. We don't even, we can't, I mean, if, if you believe voting does anything, you can't <laughs> even contribute to that. We have, now, I, I feel semi a little more depressed because I'm like, wait, we only had the Fed first. Now we got to worry about the Chinese Central Bank. And, and it's like, well, it's clearly creating problems and it's been foreseeable for, you know, potentially foreseeable for several years. What do we do now? And and I realize that one of the answers is going to be from you guys is, you know, crypto, which is true. <laughs> but like, <laughs> what? Uh, 
and we could we could delve into that of course and and i'm on board with that but we also want to know like well what's the practical what's the practical application here well if i may i mean it seems to me like the reason why these central banks, whether it's the Fed or the Chinese central bank um, is is experiencing this is because the market still works. Like even when they're intervening, the market rules still yeah. function. And so it seems like on an individual level, as far as it is within your power to do so, you should operate by those, you know, by these economic principles, these free market principles, because at the very least, you'll be more prepared when when things happen when things fall apart mm. um but I, I don't know that's that's how I, that's how i take it norm what should we think about the chinese people you kind of mentioned this earlier and i know that there's a lot of sort of anti-china sentiment especially from our you know our friends on the right who supported <laughs> Trump, and that was a big well, deal. And 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 honestly, I mean, anybody who has a very basic understanding, uh, and and by basic I mean like not a whole lot of understanding about the the world economies. And I mean, to some extent, I I might even put myself in there. I don't know what the heck is going on with Chinese with with Chinese currencies and like like all that kind of stuff. It's like uh, I don't know what to think. And so it's very easy to sort of be like, oh my goodness, China's just a problem. Like it just sort of like lump it under China is a problem, but you know I want to I want you to say more about what you were doing earlier, saying earlier about the good people in China doing good work. I, I I love my Chinese colleagues, and I've worked with people off and on from China in various ways for 20, 20 years or more probably at this point, and uh, from students who I you know got to know as an undergrad and TAs you know, through grad, I mean, as an undergrad through grad school, and now, you know, part of my, my company does uh, do manufacturing in China. And so I've, I've had a lot of interactions with Chinese people. And I think it's just, it's just really wrong to try and paint China with some type of, of, of brush that is only, only and always red. Uh, I would rather that we, you know, kind of think like individualists, like the way that we say that we want to be treated. And so to not demonize uh, just what's, to demonize the people in particular, let's, yeah, let's but, criticize communism. But, but, but uh, if you think about it, having the largest population does mean that the reg regular, regular citizens have the least amount of influence and therefore are completely not at fault of anything that happens in China because mm. it's just so big under a lot yeah. of a lot of power from one uh, central uh, political so it's, party. It's, so it's not like Europeans can look at Americans and say, well, you voted for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, do you want, would you like for, you know, would you like for uh, people in, in France or Germany or the UK to look at something that trump did or something that biden did and then just blame you for it like you yeah. know you voted for him like you said like we wouldn't approve of that we don't think that that's right. Yeah, right we would like to be treated like individuals okay give these give the chinese people the same benefit are they not are they not humans <laughs> am i not a man you know oh, but by the way just, just a good example is uh, i'm in contact with people from venezuela yeah. Uh, and they're literally the opposite of Maduro. Like everyone that I know from Venezuela, except well, okay, except one. Okay, that's that, that's one. <laughs> that's one. Okay. 
just of one. Uh, they're, li- they're, they're literally the most critical people against uh, Maduro's regime. Yeah. So the the citizenship and the governments, almost by nature, if you think think about the theory of the elites, they have to yeah. be very different. They have to, like by necessity. Mm. The American elites by necessity have to be different than regular Americans. The Chinese elites have to be very different, almost by nature. Yeah. And I guess I guess that's sort of the the meta point here that you know I, that I would want to get across, and and maybe I'm maybe that's somewhat askew from the original point about the about the financial markets themselves and what we can kind of learn from that. I mean, at least you know, at the very least, let's just not give in to the temptation to scapegoat China as being the source of all problems that are up and coming in this world, mm-hmm. because that is like that's that's a terrible thing I think to do overall i would not want that to be the way in which you know we we interact with uh you know continuing on with china so you know from an economic level of course uh, yeah crypto yeah and uh and so on but also just recognizing that like the austrian theory that explains a lot of this stuff like it continues to show accuracy in, in in explaining how this stuff works so that's a heartening thing and to be able to educate oneself and, and be able to continue to explain to other people who don't understand what's going on as well, what's happening is a value. So, you know, that's, I, that'd be another takeaway I could kind of get from it. Yeah. Well, you, um, you talked about, you know, having a meta point here and I think let's, let's even pull back even further and just analyze the news a little bit here and have that discussion that we were sort of talking about before we went on air it's like what I personally like I, I open up like Drudge Report or any, you know, any news aggregator and I just read these headlines. And I'm just like, this is this is depressing. Like, you know, like I said earlier, we have to worry <laughs> about a Chinese central bank, too. Oh, we now have to deal with this. And now, you know, in some news, it's like, OK, well, that's bad news. But that's like kind of an unrelated thing happening to like Justin Trudeau or, you know, some <laughs> person in France uh, or whatever. And it's like, well, OK, that doesn't really affect me. But like, goodness, things look dire and you have vaccine mandates being you know potentially enforced by osha you have uh cities around the world uh implementing vaccine passports and like carrie you had you had this question of like well is tyranny inevitable and we have to fight it Mm -hmm. or can we prevent it from happening in the first place maybe that's not exactly how you worded it but there's this little bit of like well man maybe we just need to keep fighting tyranny rather than try to prevent it yeah, I, I, you know, part of this, part of this question um, came up for me, just sort of thinking about, well, you know, like there have been a lot of comparisons um, to, you know, Nazi Germany and uh, that, you know, that level of totalitarianism, and um, I think previously in 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 history we've had nation states who compete against one another like there was there was a motivation for the united states government to go to war with with germany right um there was there was a there was a motivation for them to actually like send a military but we're in a different situation now because this is there's a global tyranny sort of happening and so there's no there's no nation that's going to you know swoop in and save the day and we get to have some benefit from and so, um, but we also ask this question, like, you know, how did, how did the Germans allow Hitler to do what he did? Um, and 
although there are a number of answers to that, that question, ultimately at the heart of that question is how do we prevent it or can we prevent it? And so I'm just wondering, you know, is, uh, you know, a more meta question, as you say, is tyranny inevitable and something that we just have to live and, and fight through, you know, that way, or is it something that we can actually prevent? Like we can actually see, you know, and red flags or whatever, um, and change course such that we don't have to go through that cycle, um, again. So that's sort of my, my, my ultimate meta question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one little thing you say, well, you know, noticing the red flags along the way, it's like, how do you know what's an actual red flag or just an anomaly to, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. if New York ends up being the only, let's say, let's say five big cities in the U.S. are the only cities that ever do pa vaccine passports. And in 10 years, it's like, oh, oh, OK, well, I guess that was just a blip in, you know, something mm -hmm. that could go on. Then that'd be great. But if it's like a red flag as to how the entire world is going to be or whatever it might be, I'm only picking on vaccine passports because it's the first thing that came to mind. Because it's obvious. Whatever, yeah. whatever act of tyranny that happens on a small scale that could be pointing to a larger trend. Um, sometimes you don't know that it's a larger trend until till much later. And mm -hmm. I, I know that there are... I, I, I have friends who seem to be on the everything that looks like a red flag just must be the end of the world kind of attitude. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it seems like that from my vantage point. Um, I don't know. Norm, Aaron, what, what, what do you have to add here? I'm going to just keep rambling with my thoughts and, and <laughs> gonna have to wrap it up. To me, like the couple things come to mind as you describe kind of the, the, the breadth and scope of the question, Carrie. Number one is that we have a at least a way of talking about this phenomena and that su suggests some measure of strategy. Uh, and that comes back to actually, well, really some stuff that was going on in, in, uh, in Great Britain in, I want to say, well, it's post-World War II. And uh, Eric, we were talking about this a little earlier with regards to uh, this kind of the looming nationalism of the of various portions of the economy and uh and, and hayek wrote the road to serfdom in partially in response to that and then eventually uh they there was a a, a gentleman who his name escapes me at this exact moment who founded um the uh an instant a certain kind of well it was kind of the first think tank in great britain in order to try and shift the the realm of public opinion in the direction more towards freedom. And he used this concept called the Overton window, which is this idea that there is a basket of kind of acceptable, acceptable policies and it's on a spectrum as to what people are willing to accept and, and the spectrum being of, from liberty to tyranny in this regard. And so the, the job, if you will, of the totalitarian is to try and limit that, uh, that breadth of acceptable policies to, you know, thinner and thinner and shift it more towards totalitarianism. It's the job of the liberty loving person, however, to realize that that can also be shifted the other direction. And so this is why think tanks exist in the first place, uh, you know, presumably. And this is why we have groups like, uh, like, the, uh, like the Mises Institute, the Cato Institute, Foundation for Economic Education, in order to try and, and educate people uh, and make them, not make them, but persuade them to be, to see the wisdom of liberty ideas. 
to and move so, the Overton window towards the good. Yeah, so it's shifting that Overton window towards the Liberty Zone and making it less and less possible for a tyrannical result to be acceptable. So this is where, you know, popularizing things like what we're doing at the Libertarian Christian Institute it is very important in that, and especially given the context of what we're talking about uh, with regards to, you know, the, the Christian point of view uh, in particular, that, to show that, you know, there, yeah, sure, you can be a Christian and live in a communist country and hope, but, you know, like there's Christians everywhere, of course, just probably more more dedicated christians in china now than there may be dedicated christians in the united states or so we may which so may be the case it may be true i'm not entirely sure i've heard it before but like so that's entirely possible but what we should also realize is that it's it is our christian values that drive us toward promoting human liberty as well and so trying you know so what we want to do is make that that you know uh spectrum of possible ways to fall in this in, in in into christian into christian theology kind of shift that in the liberty direction as well is is to show people that no this is the right way of thinking it's over here it's not over here and mm -hmm. so on so i think that's it, it is definitely something that is preventable in that the more that you can convince people of the wisdom of liberty overall that the more likely you are to prevent those things from happening in the first place uh, whether or not that there are certain things that are inevitable is not, I don't know, I don't really want to say, I, I am, I am want to declare anything to be truly kind of fatalistic in this regard, because it, whenever it comes to accounting to human action, uh, that, that has will involved, and, and as opposed to gravity or thermodynamics, where those things are, you know, just immutable laws of nature, uh, that is not the way humans work. And so I would say that nothing is truly inevitable. Yeah. And it, it does come down to choices. Well, and I think it's interesting because, you know, Doug had mentioned the headlines and how they're, they're depressing. They're also simultaneously, some of them very ridiculous. Like there was yeah. the Jacobin article about how Hitler opposed vaccines too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So oh, it's, they went it there. was definitely not against <laughs> mandates though. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, anyways, you know, it's, it is striking to me that the message coming from the media, which I can only describe as propagandistic, um, is definitely, definitely tries to convey the message that tyranny is inevitable and you just need to suck it up and, and take it instead of resisting. Um, so at any rate, that. Yeah, in that their world, it, it's sort of like the march toward progress, and so it's like you just got to get on board, and and they don't realize that it's not progress, or, or mm -hmm. bits, or most of it, or the narrative itself isn't. So the narrative I, is meant to to sort of keep you, like, oh well, if, oh, I better I better follow along here. Right. I mean, we've heard it said before, like, wouldn't it be great if the state just said something and nobody cared? Yeah, I mean, that's isn't the that Overton kind of, window direction we need to see? Yeah, that's that's kind of where we're, we want to head. Yeah. I mean, like, like, do we even, you know, you kind of pose the question is resistance isn't really all that necessary if nobody cares. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so the, I, like resistance. For example, we Switzerland know that people don't even know the name of the prime minister or the president <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And that, yeah. well, that's a healthy society because yes, they don't yes, have to worry about it. Yes. Isn't, and isn't that great? Like we used like 10 years ago, 
remember how you know people would 10 or 15 years ago remember how people would talk about on news like it's amazing how many people around here don't even know who their governor is or who their president is and it's like and they were doing yeah. this on like Jay Leno's show and doing what the, the man on the street talks and whatnot. And, and I look back on that now and I think like, geez, I wish that were still the case. Right. You know, <laughs> but we, we don't, we don't not. So in that respect, we're, we are definitely devolving in mm-hmm. this regard, but there are so many be- good things to be helpful for and to be pleased about in terms of the way society is moving that I, I think that like, like, I don't, I don't see this as being, in fact, I would I would venture to say that it is in the interest of the state to try and promote the the sky is falling view, mm. you know, so I, I would I would say that it is much better to be heartened by this and, and in a sense internally resist the spirit of defeat yeah. uh, in this regard than than to, you know, and, and look upon then look upon the world instead with a with a kind of attitude of hope in this in this way if you don't mind me norman um what what i have discovered all throughout the time <laughs> uh dealing mainly with with media is there is a strong bias towards negative news of course mm-hmm. and and social media has given lots of positive things but it also has created everyone is in media now i hope yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. and so we have that bias of what we're look, looking at the negative stuff like we have to do sometimes what is it that most people have, are going to have concern yeah. not the great stories the feel good stories but is the, the ones that are negative so always keep in mind when you're reading the news is okay this is naturally biased it's not a sample of reality it's just the things that people are more concerned with today and yeah. we should uh, be concerned about but that doesn't represent reality by necessity it's just the marginal things that are of high concern and the rest is much better Aaron, you got to make a meme. The news is not a sample of reality. That is, that is great. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, we used to talk about, uh, this is something that I've, I've tried to be very, like, I'm pretty sure I've told you this, Doug, and I'm pretty sure I've, no, I'm not sure I've told you this, Aaron. So a professor, a friend of mine once said, the plural of anecdote is not data. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I am, I am very careful. Anecdotal. I think now, uh, what? Anecdata? And no, no. <laughs> Anecdotal. Anecdotal. No. That's gonna be a That's new terrible. one. That's terrible, and I hate right. it already. I only had one uh, good joke for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it was well. Good. I mean, but the, the point is, is that if like if you're a scientist, you kind of know what that means. It's, you know, so for those listening, you're like, okay, an anecdote is you know anecdotal. It doesn't represent. It doesn't have a representation of what is actually happening in it for a phenomenon necessarily. And, and just because you have a couple of anecdotes doesn't suddenly mean you now have data, wait, wait, which Norman, is something that has a systemization to it. Wouldn't we say that, I mean, unless I'm wrong, that news by necessity, they happen to be anecdotes, the most interesting anecdotes of the day. That's all. In a so sense, not yes. Even data. Well, yeah. there, 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 is a, there is a sense in which, um, well, okay, I guess the point is that you can't necessarily take just a news item and then just totally extrapolate to this is now the most important thing in the world nobody should care about anything else and and the sky is falling and all it is is this like okay that because that's what it's like a a, a good example is the way we often like we have a very innate sense of like we want to hear the personalized stories right and and, you know it's like a good good example is what even what's going on with covid stuff you know uh, like the, the data would suggest that like, okay, you know, 
uh, oh, oh, actually, actually, here's a really good example of that. Remember how a year ago, you know, it was like, do you know anybody who got COVID yet? Mm -hmm. No, not really. I haven't met any. I just hear about what's going on in New York or something like that. But then, you know, and so for some reason, it seemed more distant to us. But now, do you how like, do you just almost certainly know somebody who's had it? You probably know somebody who's been hospitalized. You may know somebody who's died. I definitely know all of those. So, you know, it does it hit closer to home once that's happened? Now, that doesn't mean that you should go off and say, oh, the sky is falling and that the right. world is coming yeah. to an end. But that, it, that it's different. It feels different when you when when uh, when you have kind of the, these personal stories that start into integrating themselves into our own narrative at that point. Neither of those are data. To yeah. find out what is data, you have to you have to take a step back. You have to get dispassionate about it. You need to take you know a different look at what's going on. So realize where you where you kind of sit in that you know spectrum yeah. of things. Well, I know someone who's not dispassionate about data, and that's you, Norm. You get you get very passionate about data. Uh, all about the data. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna awkwardly segue to the final segment of our episode today, uh, which is what have you been consuming culturally other than the news? Um, I will go first and say that it has to do with the um, now Emmy Award winning uh, big time show, <clears throat> Ted Lasso. Oh, <laughs> which I, uh, Aaron, I don't know. I've told you about it. Have you been watching? Uh, some um, clips on. Uh, oh, just on some YouTube. clips. All right, all right. So you you'll uh, see why in a minute. You'll see why. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Ted Lasso is just a fun story. It's on Apple TV Plus, which is pretty inexpensive to purchase, um, and it is about a an American football coach goes to England and coaches soccer. And he has no idea what he's doing. Um, and yet he has this confidence and maturity <laughs> to him that is contagious. The and structure is... of, of regular soccer is different than American soccer. The structure. So, the structure, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, you know, y'all have ties here is <laughs> kind of a line. It's like, oh, he just keeps learning and learning and learning about it. But he just has this infectious, con like, infectious smile and warm attitude and there is a very and, and you might think oh well is this just one of those like feel-good shows that has no basis in reality no it is it is very much a heartwarming account of somebody who is a genuine human being not like some fake person who's just like all smiles like Oh, I could think of all kinds of TV preachers that seem like that um, <laughs> without naming names. Uh, but that's what I've been consuming. And it's uh, near the end of the second season. And uh, there will be a third season. I don't I don't know how many more. It, it, ha that, it has yeah. a Christian quote, by the way. Oh, yeah? that one? It says, in American sports, ties only happen in the book of Revelation, if it happens at all. Because it never happens, ties. Yeah, in the United States, those happen. That's why. Super oh, weird. Got it. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of cultural references in the show too, which is really funny because you know he'll 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 say like these lines and they'll be like dad jokes sort of in a way, or they'll just be actual jokes that he just throws into conversations, and so it's just got this charm to it. Um, it is not a family friendly show. I will warn listeners, readers, watchers, whatever. Guess you're not reading this episode. <laughs> Norm, how about you? Uh, let's go back to China. I've been reading. A, a series of novels recently that I, I've really been enjoying um, science fiction by a gentleman named 
and I, and I, I hate to probably mispronounce the name yet again, as like Xian Liu uh, wrote this series called The Three-Body Problem. Uh, it's freaking great. And it's like, it, it's, it actually begins the story in the Cultural Revolution and tells uh, kind of the stories of the what the like the struggle sessions that happened and the the uh, the murder of scientists at the time uh, by at the hands of the more of the, what you might call the ideologues or the of the the communist uh, takeover at the time and uh, of the cultural revolution and it's just it's a fascinating novel uh, it spans it's it's you know gargantuan in scope in a sense and that it takes place. I mean, it's, it's essentially like, I guess the short version is that it's essentially about an alien invasion that's going to take place and it is known that it is going to take place in about 450 to 500 years from present day. And so the, the, the process by which they are trying to resist in a sense, and, and it's just, it's bizarre and uh, imaginative and just fascinating. There's a lot of hardcore science in it as well as some kind of extrapolated stuff. It's very unusual uh, in that, you know, we're not really used to the way, as Americans at least, uh, to the way in which kind of dialogue will occur uh, between Chinese people who are in, within kind of their own hierarchical structures at times. And so you kind of have to get used to what's going on in that respect, but I find it fascinating it's great. It's really great, well-written stuff. The translation is terrific. Um, it's it won, though it's called the Galaxy Nebula Award or something. It was it was an award-winning novel series, and uh, I'm in book two called The Dark Forest right now. Loving it. Highly recommend nice. it. Netflix is is supposed to come out with a series at some point in the next year, year and a half. Okay. I don't know how they're going to do it because it sounds like I just don't know how you would make this into a TV series, and I love when you kind of discover books like that, because it just like, mm. it, it just feels so different than like, you're just watching another movie in your yeah. brain or something. It's, but you want something that's like really thought provoking. You don't do that very well. And often in American novels. All right, Aaron, how about you, man? Other than Ted Lasso clips, what have you been consuming? Okay. So it's still related to politics. So, mm, uh, I listen <laughs> It's like I always listen to I overconsume Tim Dillon, Michael Malice, and the Babylon Bee podcasts and articles. Those mm. ones are for sure every single day, every single <laughs> every moment day. of the day. Um, my childhood friend childhood friends were um uh, we used to play American football. Yes. Where I grew up, we used to play American football. So we have a fantasy uh NFL fantasy team. And I was <laughs> and I was it was predicted that I was gonna lose every single every single game, and I have won every single game so far. Oh, so nice. I am so, super. So happy. Dallas wasn't on your list. Okay, that that's the next topic. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Okay, you guys will uh, will find out that I find hilarious that the only the only fans in the NFL that celebrate a season of one one loss and one win are the Dallas Cowboys fans. I still cannot understand how could that happen, but that's how it is. So there you go. That's my last uh, cultural comment, <laughs> if you wish. I find it amazing that there can be fa fan base like that. Okay. 
All right, Carrie, other than Jacobin Magazine, have you been uh, reading Ooh, any fiction? Urgh. No. Um, well, I have to say, I have been quite jaded by, um, you know, recent attempts by Hollywood to tell a story because I think they've completely lost the concept of storytelling. Um, so at any rate, my kids and I actually watched a movie that was uh, done from 2011 called Hugo. Um, I'm just going to read the description here. It's an American adventure drama film directed and produced by Martin Scorsese and adapted for the screen by John Logan. It's based on the Brian uh, Slesnick 2007 book, The Invention of Hugo Cabret. It tells the story of a boy who lives alone in a railway railway station in Paris in the 1930s, only to become embroiled in a mystery surrounding his late father's automaton and the pioneering filmmaker, I'm going to mess up his name, Georges Millais. Uh, he's a French guy, but it's, so that guy is, is real. And so they actually have a lot of um, historical uh, explanation about the origins of filmmaking and things like that. Um, so it is both entertaining and uh, historically interesting, and the kids really enjoyed it. And it was a nice break from all of the all of the fiction that is out there today. <laughs> madness. Well, that's enough madness and fiction that we have time for. We are going to wrap up this episode. For those of you just tuning in on this first inaugural audio version as well or something like that. I don't know how to word that properly on the fly. Um, <laughs> these episodes are actually typically a little shorter, and we do jump into specific news items, and we hope you will come enjoy them with us. Uh, oh, my goodness. I just realized I forgot. You can send us email, and if you want to ask <gasps> us questions, what? we will feature your questions, if they're appropriate, and if we can answer them. Um, <laughs> and, if we, and if we can't, we'll just We'll try to clean it up if necessary, but yeah, we'll try. Right. Uh, Roundtable at libertarianchristians.com. Send us your emails, um, and we will do our best to answer them on the next show, which is uh, about every other week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.